Welcome to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast, where we embrace a bold change in the way that we plan for and respond to sudden cardiac arrest in the pursuit of saving more lives. And now your host, Joe Powell and Billy Croft. All right, we're back at it, Joe. What's up? Not much, Billy, Billy, Billy. How you doing, sir? Well, I'm doing good. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different this time. Can you tell uh, our listeners where we're at, Joe? We are uh, in the lobby of the Marriott in downtown Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines? Des Moines. You got it. You got it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So if you hear, like, uh, background noise, people talking, there's an escalator, there's a beautiful fountain, and there's all kinds of stuff happening in the lobby. Can we go swimming in the fountain? (laughs) Only if you're hillbilly. (laughs) Yeah, you can do that. All right, uh, ideal. So, you know, we we got... uh, Terry Kehoe with us today, and we got Rod Cheney, and uh, we we were having this conversation today about, you know, what do people really want to know? You know, what do they ask us a lot? Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, as we kind of look at it, there's there's a number of questions that we get all the time, and we just wanted to take this opportunity to, you know, ask some of those questions, get some answers from some of the experts that we have with us. They are the experts. Hey, boys, how are you? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Great to be here, Billy and Joe, as always. Yeah, how do you think the uh, week is going so far? I think I think great. A lot of great providers here in Iowa. We're dedicated to improving outcomes in their community. We can't, can't really ask for more than that. How about you, Rodney? Yeah, it's hard not to get excited about uh, changing outcomes in, in people's lives, right? So uh, the feedback has been good so far, so we've got one more day to go. So it's, it's been a good week so far. Yeah, good turnout, too. It's... Uh, it's been really great. I, I I love going out and traveling and and seeing all these different fire departments uh, wanting to make a, a positive change for their community and uh, it's it's truly inspiring for me even though I've been through it and you know Joe I know you've been through it and you know it's it's still inspiring. Yeah, you know this is a you know, it's a fair amount of work to get this done, but when you just listen to the folks from like from Des Moines right, and you just you just hear them interact and ask questions and and try to learn how to how to better their outcomes. It's just uh, yeah, it's extremely motivating. Yeah, I think before we get into it into this, um, you know, we got some things coming up like the uh, the Zoll Summit Conference, right? Yeah. Terry, yeah. you want to you know talk about that for a second? Sure. Uh, you know, I believe that's going to be the 13th through the 15th of June. We're going to have three days of uh, advanced cardiac resuscitation content. Uh, day one is going to be, you know, similar to a, to a program that we put on here in Des Moines where it's going to be an ACR workshop, a full day of kind of start to finish. So if you've never had the opportunity to go through that, um, that's going to be really exciting. And then on day two and day three, we're going to focus on some of those other things like optimizing your community, optimizing the system. For example, there's going to be a, um, a session on telephone CPR, lots of, uh, lots of good stuff on quality assurance and how you can improve that aspect of your program. So um, you know, really an all, um, you know, kind of a, a rounded out approach on how you can improve your cardiac arrest survivability program. Yeah, that's really exciting. I know last year was a lot of fun. That was the first year we, we did that. And, you know, we just keep expanding on it. It's just awesome. And there are worse places to be um, <laughs> than, uh, than Denver, Colorado in June. It's, uh, it's pretty epic there. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's other resources for you. Obviously, we have the uh, ACR Moonshot website up now, acrmoonshot.com. Um, please visit our website site. And we also, you know, you're listening to this podcast. And 
uh, that's awesome. And our social media pages on uh, Facebook and Instagram, uh, seek those out, ACR Moonshot, and please follow us, like us, and uh, we'll keep you up to date of where we're at, what we're doing, and always, if you're interested, you know, in the show notes, there's going to be contact information, and you can reach out to Joe, myself, Terry, Rod, whoever you'd like. We'll get you, uh, we'll get you the help you need, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Billy, you know, we uh, we were lucky enough uh, just yesterday to have a to to do a podcast with a survivor, and and avoid motivating just to listen to that survivor story. So if you guys haven't had an opportunity to listen to a to that survivor story, that podcast, it's coming coming out real soon. And uh, listen listen to that podcast; it's really touching. Yeah, most definitely. So who wants to start this thing off? You guys wanna? You wanna take a crack at it? You wanna? You wanna take a swing at me, Rod? What do you wanna do? I, I've wanted to take a swing at you for years, Billy. <laughs> All right, so I got a question. I got a question for Rod, Billy. So right. we're trying to just kind of answer some 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 questions that we get a lot, and I think you know I think you know question number one is you know Rod, if if I uh, you know I get this question a lot, if I do really good manual, you know CPR. Why, why would I need to, to, to use a, a mechanical CPR device? Um, I, think there are, I think there's a number of reasons. And, you know, the biggest thing for me as a, as a former provider, as a director of EMS, you know, one of the things that I recognized is that, you know, we all know that manual CPR is a very tiring motor skill. And, you know, the HA does a good job of talking about, you know, asking providers to rotate every two minutes, and, you know, we know through all the studies there that just over the course of those two minutes that our, our performance starts to decline. So, you know, if we're, if we're not meeting that, and I, use, I like to use the word dosage, right, the right depth, the right rate, and the release and the recoil, if we're not doing that, then we're not giving the patient the best medicine. And by medicine, what I simply mean is, is blood flow and perfusion. And the other big thing for me is... These mechanical devices, uh, you know, and there are differences in the devices in the industry today, but these devices will manage the pre-hospital circumstances. And sometimes people look at me and say, well, what do you mean by a pre-hospital circumstance? Well, you know, if, if you respond as a department to a cardiac arrest on the second story, maybe in the morning in the bathroom or an apartment complex, or, and you have several flights of stairs to, care, to carry the equipment up, but then you have to move that patient you know, as good as we are at managing pre-hospital calls, the most important medicine for a cardiac arrest patient is blood flow. And, we, you know, we can't do perform chest compressions effectively going down the stairs to move that patient there. And these devices said, I'll manage that circumstance for you. And it'll take, you know, it'll take the, the Cons these devices perform consistent. They don't get tired. They don't come in with attitudes. They didn't have a work their second, third job and have a bad shift and then come in and have to immediately pick up on a cardiac yeah. arrest. So they manage those circumstances for us. And, you know, the, the one other big benefit is that once these devices are deployed, you know, in my experience and, you know, what we've heard from all these departments is that whole cardiac arrest just slows down and allows you to manage that patient you know, using all the information that you have, have in front of you, covering the, the monitor, coming from the monitor, and just how to best appropriately treat that patient. All right, all right, that that makes sense. So, so the device will manage. So I really only need like a mechanical CBR device to to move up and downstairs and to move the patient. 
or if, if I'm getting tired doing manual compressions, is there is there other benefits to a mechanical CPR device? Well, there's 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 benefits in the sense that you know not every department has the luxury of having five or six providers there on a call, right? So some departments that are only responding with two or three people, this this device says, man, I, I'm the best employee or best provider you have in the truck today, because I, you know I'm not going to get tired, and you tell me to. To, to compress and to do my job, and I'll do it all day long for you. And so, for those systems that are maybe you know don't have um, the luxury of having those providers on there, you know that's another provider that can be provided for them. And you know the safety aspect of it. You know if we're still transporting cardiac arrest patients to the hospital, it allows those providers to sit down in the back of the truck and you know continue to manage the cardiac arrest patient, but also provide safety to the providers as they're. Um, you know, doing the other treatments for those patients and ventilations and the medication administration, all those things that have to be done for a cardiac arrest. So, you know, uh, Rod, I've heard you. I've heard you speak a number of times, and you have a phrase, and you kind of use a little bit about what. What is what is your favorite phrase uh, regarding mechanical CPR? It's you know, it's a in the management of a cardiac arrest. What I've learned just over the last you know several years, um, coming from a. Um, a career in, as, as a paramedic was, you know, we, we've just got to really become hyper-focused on blood flow. That is the number one thing. So, when you know, when you respond and you start that resuscitation from hyper-focused and minimizing those pauses from the time that you start manual, man, or manual CPR until you introduce the mechanical CPR device, and for the duration of that that time that you're working that cardiac arrest, we've just got to have a hyper-focused effort and just that continuation of blood flow and do uh, yeah. all those other treatments surrounding blood flow. Yeah, so hyper-focus on blood flow, hyper-focus on blood flow. I, I've, I've loved that term ever since I first heard you or that, that statement ever since I first heard you say it. Um, and so, and you know, if, if you guys have ever been to any of our, uh, our uh, trainings, you'll, you'll know that we're talking about blood flow, but not just blood flow to the heart, right? The, the the main blood flow that we're talking about is cerebral perfusion. We've got to get blood to the brain and maintain blood to the brain. So that cerebral perfusion pressure and being hyper-focused on blood flow to the brain is extremely critical. So Terry, you know, another question I think that we get that kind of ties right back into being, you know, hyper-focused on, on cerebral blood flow is uh, you know, how does ventilation um, affect that. I mean, it really doesn't make that big of a difference. You know, we breathe for our patient and they get oxygen. If they get too much oxygen, it doesn't really matter. How does, how does, how does that cerebral perfusion and hyperventilation fit together or not? Yeah, Joe, I know you're being facetious here, right? Because, you know, we used to have this idea that a little bit of oxygen was good. A lot of oxygen is going to be better. Um, obviously, today we know that's not true, right? Especially when we're, when we're thinking about um, cardiac arrest and you know and what we want to do as far as pressures inside the human body during a cardiac arrest so one of the things we always talk about is generating a negative intrathoracic pressure which we know is going to be important for a number of reasons right it's going to pull more blood back to the heart which in turn is going to help us to reduce intracranial pressure you know increase cardiac output blood pressure all of those things are going to be really important well if we're trying to generate a negative intrathoracic pressure it's going to be really important that we don't hyperventilate our patients, both in terms of rate or volume. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, and, and we really have to be focused on that. For, for years and years and years, I think as EMS providers, we're guilty of, of thinking of ventilation as kind of a BS skill, right? That we would generally give to the least experienced provider on scene. You know, I can tell you, you know, I've run plenty of cardiac arrests 
where I would hand the bag valve mask uh, to an EMT student, right? To, to, to somebody who's very new or certainly was the least experienced provider on the scene and say, hey, squeeze this bag once every five to six seconds because you want to give them something to do, some way to contribute during you know, the care of that patient. You know, not, not really and truly appreciating the fact that you know, this poor person that you put in this really difficult situation is probably going to hyperventilate the patient both in terms of rate and volume and knowing that's going to have some pretty significant consequences for your patient, right? Um, so we know a lot better today, so we have to manage and prevent hyperventilation, especially when we're, you know, cognizant of that fact that we're trying to generate a negative interthoracic pressure. Okay, okay, so that, that makes sense. So I can't, I can't breathe too fast. You mentioned, Terry, volume. Uh, I mean, so... I, mean, I can't. I can't deliver more volume than is in that bag valve mask. So what's what's the what's the issue there? Well, we all know again that there's a ton of volume in a bag, right? Um, you know, when we actually look at how much tidal volume an average you know adult needs, you know, 450 mLs of air is a is a really good place to start for most average adults. Um, you know, and then you compare that to how large a bag, a bag valve mask is. You know, whether it's you know 700 or 1,000 or 1,200 cc's, or regardless, whatever that is. Um, you know, we can be really, I guess, dangerous, right? Or we can be, you know, uh, we can deliver way more volume than we need to for that patient in cardiac arrest. So there are a number of different techniques and different ways that we can help to prevent that. Um, you know, obviously there are a lot of different ways we can prevent hyperventilation in terms of rate, you know, whether that's, you know, audible alarms on monitors and mechanical CPR devices, and certainly timing lights on things like the ITD are also going to be valuable as well. Um, but when we talk about volume, we're a little bit more limited here, and there's a number of different ways we can do that. Um, there are agencies across the country that use pediatric bag valve masks, right, as they're, okay. as they're trying okay. to limit artificially the amount of volume you're delivering. Um, we know of a number of agencies that are using mechanical ventilators, right? They have a lot of the same benefits that you do with a mechanical CPR device. There's that cognitive offload. It's not going to get tired. It's not going to worry about catching a late call. Um, it's going to be consistent and be able to do the job for you, especially in some of those situations that Rod talked about where you have limited personnel. You know, in, in addition to, um, to, you know, to those options, um, you know, there's real-time feedback, you know, which is, which is coming into the market today where we can get real-time feedback on terms of rate um, and volume. So I think that, you know, regardless of how we get to that, that point, we need to make sure that we are not hyperventilating our patients both in terms of rate and volume because both of those things are going to be really important when we're trying to do everything we can to promote neurologically intact survival. Okay, okay, that all makes sense. So, Terry, you say there's some real-time feedback as far as rate and volume now available on the market. What, what did I, but that's just something that, that the hospitals use on their ventilators or is there something available for the pre-hospital market that will help them maintain an appropriate rate and volume. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, the pre-hospital market, the X-Series Advanced, one of the new products that's out there is something called AccuVent um, and real BVM help and AccuVent technology where we're actually able to uh, measure in real time how much volume you're actually delivering with a bag valve mask. So you're going to get that real time feedback to, again, to prevent that, um, you know, in the short term. But the additional benefit is you're going to get all of that feedback post case, right? So if we're running a, a cardiac arrest, you know, it's, it's certainly possible today where you could have all of your manual CPR feedback, all of your mechanical um, you know, feedback, and in all of your ventilation data all in the same, you know, the same quality assurance report, right? 
Um, you know, and we know that's super important, right? If you don't measure it, you can't improve it. So, you know, having the ability to, to get all that feedback in real time and post case um, is really what's going to help us improve kind of moving forward. All right. Very good. Very good. That was pretty cool, Terry. You sound good, though. I'm, you really do. You sound good. <laughs> on this. He looks good, too. You should see the look that Billy is giving me. <laughs> All right. Me so like a prize goose or something. This is a bonus question. All right. I'm just sitting here thinking about all this stuff. Uh, this is for the group here. All right. ACLS, every doctor, every fire department, every EMS agency gives epinephrine. They give it. It's, it's got to be right. So what's the big deal about epinephrine? Well, you know, we, we know that epinephrine is, is one of those things that's been around in EMS uh, for certainly for a long period of time. We know that epinephrine is going to help us improve our rates of return of spontaneous circulation. But is that the outcome we should be looking for, right? And when we compare that to neurologically intact survival, we can see that epinephrine is really great for promoting return of spontaneous circulation but maybe is not quite as beneficial when we're talking about, you know, uh, neurologically intact survival, which is what we're shooting for there. So I'd push back a little bit and I say that there, there is no longer a, um, you know, a uh, monolithic, you know, or a monolith of support for epinephrine, you know, one to, you know, um, one milligram Q3 to five of one to 10,000 with no max. You know, I don't, I don't think that, that that exists anymore. I think we're being much more measured and thinking about this a lot more and uh, you know taking certainly a more nuanced approach to epinephrine moving forward i think the days of having you know seven empty gray boxes on the bottom you know the bottom <laughs> of your ambulance are, are you know well uh you know gone and buried can't yeah. forget about the couple boxes in your Jump pants in pocket <laughs> also calling the second ambulance because you ran out of the epinephrine on your first yeah, ambulance right <laughs> yeah but it, you know those, those yeah, calls always ended up well yeah exactly um, the other thing that you know I love the way the ACR group discusses about optimizing the patient, right? And so, you know, when we talk about the, the ventilation and the importance of not hyperventilating and using that, that technology out there that says, I can, I can tell you exactly how much tidal volume you're delivering and when the right time to do it. And we've got these mechanical devices are that says, I'm going to continue to focus on that perfusion. We're going to optimize that patient. So when the right time epinephrine when we believe I think we all believe that there is a right time um, for it but it's 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 really changing the way we've been doing things and thinking about prioritizing about optimizing the patient first and using all the technology and the tools we have available to us and then looking at and saying this is the right time that patient is, is optimized and ready um, for epinephrine administration and I think Billy, you had you you know we just we had the opportunity of attending your your uh, survivor ceremony just a couple of weeks ago, and I think you you uh, pulled some data off of your survivors there, which I thought was pretty pretty compelling information that you pulled. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a small sample size yeah. for for sure, but you can't ignore the fact that not a lot of people got epinephrine and survived and neurologically intact, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty cool. I think there's a lot of medical directors um, that are kind of really sitting back and, and, and as Terry said, they're really rethinking, you know, about how much epinephrine is is right for that patient. And sitting back and, and, and changing just about the way we, we manage cardiac arrest patients. 
Yeah, I think when we, uh, you know, and, and, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and I'm, there's no way I remember that because I'm not that old. I'm really not that old. <laughs> but, um, you know, when, you know, as, we, as I've been through my career, we've always been thinking about how do we get hearts back? Right? How do we get hearts back? And, and we believe the data shows that we get more hearts back with epi, right? But we also damage a lot more brains with epi. And so as we focus, and you know, Rod and Terry and Billy, we were all having this conversation just a second ago offline about we, how do we get everyone to focus on the brain and not just the heart, right? It's gotta be about the brain and not the heart. How do we focus everybody that direction? And I, I think we're, we're fairly confident that uh, ICP spikes significantly with epinephrine, which causes a decrease in cerebral perfusion and causes that neurologic devastation that we don't want, right? So yes, we have to get hearts back, but we gotta get brains back too. We gotta look at that overall picture and say, hey, how do we manage a cardiac arrest so that we get hearts back and brains back, right? We gotta get them both back, not just one of them. And so epi is really causing some problems. And so like you said, Rod, optimize the patient for the treatment. Right. Let's make sure that we reverse hypoxia, reverse acidosis as much as we can, that we've done really good compressions, that our ventilatory rate isn't too high. All of the things that we know we need to do to, to get the patient ready for some kind of a cerebral perfusion hit if we were going to give epi. Let's optimize the patient and then decide whether or not at that point we want to give epi. So that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, I love the way uh, at, at, the, at the survivor ceremony in Naperville, Dr. Wilson um, who's the medical director of Edwards Hospital okay. System? I wished I could remember how he explained it because he just put it at a he explained it at a level about you know having all the cells in the body at the party ready and you know when we don't optimize the patient these these cells are not ready to party and I'll never do as good a job as Dr. Wilson did so I hope I hope you guys can get Dr. Wilson on one of your podcasts and he can talk about that but I think he just did a phenomenal job and just really explained that we've got to optimize the, the patient and the cells. Yeah, it's like, it's a cell party, yeah. yeah cell we could have, we get Dr. Wilson on, we could all have a cell party, all right? Yeah, Brain cell it. party. Love it. <laughs> you know, when we think about the questions that we get frequently, I think, I think there's another one that kind of comes to mind. So, you know, Joe and I and the team will spend a lot of time educating folks. Um, you know, we'll spend a couple of hours in the, you know, in the morning session kind of going through the, the why and the science behind a lot of what we do. Um, but invariably, we'll have somebody come to us afterwards and say, Joe, what's the one thing? You know, all this that you talked about for all this time, what's the one thing that I can do to kind of move my program forward? Yeah, that kind of, a, yeah, it's, it's you know, after spending, you know, three three and a half, four hours lecturing, you know, I get that, that, that same question. What's the one thing? What's the one thing? And I, and, and there really isn't one thing, right? That's, it's a bundle of care. It is, it is, you know, the seven cardiac survivability tools, but it's a lot more than that, right? It's the ability to, to go back and review the case, right? It's some real time feedback. There's a lot to it. And it's really that entire bundle of care that's getting that, those survivability numbers, you know, improved, significantly improved. Without that bundle of care, right, any one of those tools doesn't necessarily do it. Now, I, I think if you said to me, uh, what's the foundation? The foundation is high quality CPR, right? It is high quality CPR that's never interrupted. I mean, we did a podcast um, just, just recently, and uh, you know, I think what I said at the end of the podcast was stop stopping right stop stopping and i think that's the foundation is we have to stop stopping we have to do really good rate really good recoil right um and we just have to do that that's that's the base that's the foundation we can't build the building 
if we don't have really high quality CPR that we not, are not stopping, right? That's the foundation. But altogether, it's that bundle of care. It's all of that together that's giving us those improved outcomes. It's a very nuanced answer, Joe. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. I like that. <laughs> so, Billy, I think one of the other questions that we get is, uh, you know, on, on the regular is, why are we so afraid of change, right? What prohibits us from, from making these changes? What per, you know, prohibits these things from, from happening? Yeah, um, uh, it's, there's a lot of stuff there to unpack, but I'll, I'll try to boil it down. I think it's basically fear, right? Looking incompetent in front of your peers, um, you know, the unknown of what is going to happen. You know, usually, uh, the, the fire service is notorious for bringing out this new shiny thing and they train you on it for a limited amount of time and they say good luck and and you're kind of left holding the bag trying to find out the answers and we get tired of doing that a lot and things fail a lot because of that because we don't have a lot of support uh, on the back end they may give us some support in the front end but where we need it is in the back end and you know just uh helping us uh do that so it's it's really not knowing what what's going to happen with that fear of change um you know this is the way we've always done it kind of mentality um you know that has been ingrained in in our in our in our minds for forever hey this is you're going to do this this is my way or the highway kind of kind of attitude so you know, I, 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 I really like when we go out because, and I talk about this, and we talk about pride, honor, and tradition, and those are great words for the fire service for sure. But you know, when we talk about a nine percent survivability or a ninety-one percent failure rate in saving people from out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, where's the pride in that? Where's the honor in that? We made it a tradition. For sure, but we're trying to change that tradition with ACR. That's that's why we're here. So it's 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 difficult. Um, I think it's the way you approach your your people, trusting your people, inspiring them, telling them why we're doing it, why, and then how to do it because that's that's pretty important also in how we do things and when we do them is is extremely important. So. You know, uh, getting that buy-in, trusting them because it's a two-way street, for sure. Um, you'll get people um, definitely bought in. But the the biggest one, I think, is having survivor banquets. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a huge one, right? They get to see people and talk to them that they brought value to the table, and uh, they're actually making a difference and doing what they signed up to do. Yeah, no, Billy, that's, uh, you know, that's a good point about talk, uh, understanding the why first, right? And that was some of the feedback that we, we, uh, we heard from Des Moines Fire is, you know, at the end of our classes, we always ask for, you know, help us improve this program and give us some things that we did well and give us some things where we can improve. And that was one of the things that uh, a couple of the providers mentioned today is that we love the way you explain the why first. And so I think if we just step back and, and really kind of take a look at why did we get in this business, this service, and it was every one of us, I think, signed up to impact people's lives. And I think we've gotten away from it. As you said, the tradition, man, we've made this a tradition that cardiac arrest patients don't survive. But when we truly understand the why, it kind of helps that change. They, they accept that change. 
you know, real world. I think it, I think it comes full circle, right? As, you, as Billy talks about survivor banquets, he starts off with saying, hey, we gotta, we gotta talk to him about the why. And, and when you go to a survivor banquet and you've been, right? And Terry, you've been, right? Right? You go to a survivor banquet and you shake hands with someone that's alive today that might not have been, had you not done things differently, what does that do? That just sells the why, it, it solidifies and, and just rock solid in your brain. This is the why. This guy that I'm standing here and shaking his hand right now, he's the why. It's why I do this or why we've decided to change and why I've decided to risk all the things we risk to move forward with that change, right? The risk of embarrassment or the, the risk of looking incompetent to your peers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that all day long because I can shake that guy's hand. He's alive today because of something that I had a small part in. Uh, do we got time for another question? I, I got one for Joe. You do? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, you know, I, we've all been in the back of the truck um, throughout our, our career. And I, I still, to this day, and I, I haven't been riding the truck for almost 10 years, but I still remember you know, coming back to the station after a call. And, you know, we always talk about that subjective data. And subjective data meaning that you've just got this feeling that as you're going back, you're like, well, that went pretty well. I got that tube, it's difficult airway, the IV, but at the end of the day, you don't know. You don't know what that really, what that data really looked like. And sometimes, you know, we come back with the, the, the feeling that, man, that just didn't go well you start to pick it apart and all the things that I maybe could have done better with, but at the end of the day, you don't know. And so, Joe, I mean, how did you really know to begin to look at your, your, your system and say, we've got to do better? I mean, what, what tools were you using? Yeah, so that's a, uh, that's a great question. And I think, you know, I, I would tell you that before I started evaluating, um, before we started in uh, like 2015, we had we went to an electronic patient care reporting system and we got uh, Kevin Dearden, our QI guy. And you know, one of my first questions to Kevin was, hey, dude, what's our ROS rate? We had been using Autopulse devices since 2009. And I, I would have told you, just subjectively, our ROS rate is phenomenal. It's gotta be well over 50%. Right, these guys are always saying how great this device is. It's fantastic until we went back and actually looked at the data, right? And then started looking at the, the case for you items and what we were doing and what we were doing well and what we weren't doing well. Didn't take very long. It literally, you know, we, because Kevin came back and said, yeah, well, what you think is a 50 or 60% ROS rate is actually 23%. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I, yeah. And I was very, uh, what's the proper word? downtrodden or uh, what, I don't know what the word is there. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I thought, I thought we were doing way better than that, right? And so Kevin and I immediately started out on calls, watching, watching folks run cardiac arrest, looking at the data. Didn't take very long to look at real live data and real live cardiac arrests and go, ah, I get it. I get why, we're, why our ROS grade is 23%. We were stopping the mechanical CPR device all the time. Right, we were stopping to check a pulse, stopping it to check a rhythm, stop, stopping it to innovate, stopping it to start a line, right? All the different things that we always stop compression for, right? And so it didn't, you know, a month down the road, we're like, okay, I get it. I get, you know, subjectively, we believe we were doing way better than we were, but realistically, when we actually looked at the, the, the real data, we weren't. And so we go back and we come up with nothing trumps compressions, nothing, right? That was just like, and, and, and that was not a slam dunk. Right, if you think, uh, hey, we went out and taught everybody, don't 
you know, nothing trumps compressions, don't stop compressions was not a, hey, everybody did exactly what we said, right? It, it was a process. We had to go out and we go back and look at the data and then go back and watch them run calls and say, hey, we said, you know, don't, don't stop. And they're like, yeah, but you didn't mean don't stop to innovate. Like I did, right? Or you didn't mean don't stop to check a pulse. I did, right? You know, and so that was, that was I would guess, maybe a six month to a year process of really getting nothing trumps compressions, nothing you know, ingrained in, my, in our guys' heads. And then you can start seeing the, the, those ROS grades come up and then we start looking at you know, uh, real data on neurologically intact survival, right? Who was surviving neurologically intact? But if you're not looking at the data, you're probably not being not very accurate. Subjectively, you think you're doing much better than you are probably. Yeah, Billy, did, did, you, did, you, did some of your providers and your crews, did they, did they fear that report? Did they want to look at it or they're like, no, don't, don't show it to me? Yeah, I, I think uh, no one really wants to look at if they're doing bad, right? Because I think, you know, we've run enough cardiac arrests to know that it, it's not good. It's just not good, right? So to actually physically look at that and go, oh, it's really bad. <laughs> you know, we don't want to look at that, right? So a lot of things play into that, but you know, to, to answer one of those questions uh, earlier that we had about, you know, what's that one thing, you know, I, you know, we talk about optimizing the patient a lot, you know, and those are great things. You know, CPR is fantastic. Mechanical CPR is awesome. But I, I think you guys will agree with me that knowing where you're at, right? How many cardiac arrests do you run in your community? What is your ROS grade? What is your survival rate? You know, Terry says this all the time. If you can't measure it, you can't improve it, right? And and I, a lot, a lot of fire department people say, well, I joined to be a firefighter. I'm not an accountant. <laughs> you know, I heard that a lot. I don't, we don't look at data, come on. Well, you gotta. Everything is, is data-driven these days. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I think that's one of the biggest tools today is to be able to sit back and just you know, one of the things that I loved is, you know, we've, we've got a lot of departments out there that are sitting back and said, you know, we're, we're going to sit down after we get our truck back in service. We're going to pull that call up and we're going to come in the conference room or the day room or whatever. We're going to put that call up there and we're going to collectively sit down as a group. And we're going to have chiefs in there. We're going to have lieutenants, captains, whoever, but there's no titles in that room. And we've got one objective and that's to sit there and say, how did we do today? You know, and hopefully the goal is for every every crew, every, every shift, every, um, you know, call we sit back and say well done and that's the ultimate goal is that we can walk away but there's also opportunities to say you know what you know what you know that the cpr feedback in the, in the first part of it i mean you, you can go back and start asking some questions did we have the monitor appropriately positioned right and go back and just continue to train and drill and and build that muscle memory and those habits as we go out and deploy that and just look for any opportunities there and we talk a lot about fraction time right that that clearly gives you a a nice little pie chart on there that says, here's how you did it, here's your fraction time today. And so it gives us tons of opportunity just to kind of pick it apart and find ways to continue to prove. Yeah, a um, lot of stuff happening here. I mean, we just scratched the surface, I feel, on, on some things. Um, we could, we can go on and on and talk about this, but yeah. we, we got to limit this to... Yeah, we're going to have to do this again, right? We're going to have to do this again, that's for sure, absolutely. I, and I think, you know, I'm sorry, Billy, really, you know, real quickly, what Rod's talking about, what Terry's talking about, what you're talking about, and, and what the motto of ACR is, is what? It's better, better tomorrow. tomorrow. Better tomorrow, right? Better tomorrow. 
You know, so Rod's talking about, hey, let's go back and look at the data. Let's evaluate how we ran the call, and then let's be better tomorrow. So, yeah, thanks guys for being here. You know, very welcome, guys. Been a right. pleasure as always. All right, as always, uh, we'll have uh, contact info in in the show notes. Please contact us if you have any questions. We'd uh, we'd we'd love to to talk to you and, and answer those. So, thanks for listening to ACR Moonshot. <laughs>